We're going to have a topical study this evening for a couple of reasons. Um, reason number one, as I felt the Lord wanted us to, uh, reason number two was because we, I didn't have enough, I didn't feel that we had enough time to start the four horsemen. Before we do, though, I have a couple of announcements, a couple of big ones, speaking of conviction. First and foremost, we've been praying for a long time about communion and the way that we've been doing communion. And, you know, the Lord's been, wisdom is found in a multitude of counselors, the Bible says. And so I've been praying about it. And then we were praying, I was praying and reading through this study. And then the Lord had this verse for me in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it to you unless you want to be a Berean, you know, which is what the Bible says. Maybe you write it down. But Acts chapter 20, verse 7 says, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now, our Sunday morning studies are not going to go till midnight. But the first day of the week does mean Sunday, and they broke bread together. So next month, the first Sunday of the month, we'll have communion here in the fellowship and Sunday morning. It'll be during worship, similar to what we're doing now, so I just want to give you a heads up. But I need the elders to help remind me as we get closer, too, um, because we have to let our yes be yes and our no be no. And then the way that we're going to do it is every other month it'll be on Wednesday night, and every other month it'll be on Sunday. So Sunday morning, every other month, First Sunday of the month, we'll have communion together so that both our Wednesday night and our Sunday night uh, people can fellowship together and break bread together. It literally took all of five seconds. I read that verse and I said, okay, Lord, I'm done. Yep, you got it. And so Acts chapter 20, verse 7. This evening, we're going to continue our theme and we're going to talk about the Lord and the bread of life. Let's pray as we jump back into John chapter 6. Lord Jesus, continue to lead us this evening as you guide and direct us to your word. I thank you that we are a fellowship that is led by your spirit. We're not dogmatic in our traditions, Lord. Only what you have called us to do through your word, Lord. And we honor your word higher than anything else, Lord, because you say that you magnify your word above your name in the scriptures. Help us to raise it to the highest position in our lives and raise it this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Verses 41 through 43 of chapter 6. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is this, Jesus, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur amongst yourselves. What people think about Jesus has no effect on who he is. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Excuse me. What we think about Jesus does not affect who he is. It doesn't affect the truth of God. What we think about him and uh, being born again affects our eternal destiny. Don't get me wrong. It is vital that we have a proper understanding of who Jesus Christ is. But whether I was an unbeliever, a believer, a backslidden Christian, or on fire, he is still on the throne. And it doesn't matter what popular opinion is. Unfortunately, today in America, I believe that we've begun to think of Jesus as like the Santa Claus meter. Like, oh my goodness, we have to, 
there has to be revival in America or, or you know, there's, this whole miracle is not going to work anymore. There was a, a movie out and they had a, Santa Claus had a sleigh and he had a certain meter on it and the more people that believed in him, the more energy the sleigh had. And then if it, if it went down, then, oh no, Santa Claus can't do what he's got to do. Some people think that Jesus works that way. And that somehow we need to get him back on the, the top 10 charts and then he'll bless America. Jesus is not interested in a popularity contest. He is not interested in just the ratings. Jesus is intimately interested in each and every individual. He gave his life for each person, every sinner. He is interested in the souls of man. Here we have the Jews complaining about him. Oh, come on. Listen to what this guy's saying. He's saying that we need to eat him. This guy cannot be from God. They're murmuring about him, and then they are back. They're just slandering him. Oh, you know, isn't he a carpenter's son? He's just a regular guy. He's just like, he's just like the all of us. He's nobody. Jesus in his human form is nobody. He's a human being. He's 100% man. He grew up a poor carpenter's son in a dirt town called Nazareth, the Pharisees would say, does anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, this is like the worst part, the poorest part. And that's where the king of all creation decided to represent himself. We're going to read here that Jesus is the manifestation of the Father. He is the express image of the Father. And this is how he chose to represent himself. You are nobody. I am nobody just like Jesus. And because he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he has adopted me, I am a son of the king, but I am a, I am a nobody. And it doesn't matter what anybody thinks or says or argues with you, or if every single person in your family is against you, Jesus is still the king. These are his people that are slandering him. And it doesn't bother him. Six times, though, in the next few verses, all the way to verse 58, a little bit farther than how we, we're going to read, six times he says, came down from heaven. Even though Jesus is a nobody, he descended from the throne room. He's from everlasting to everlasting, the Alpha and the Omega. And the Jews complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is, this, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that, then that he says, I've come down from heaven? Let's read the next section. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. I and I will raise him up at the last day. When it says here, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, the Calvinist says that he has irresistible grace. So they believe that you have no free will. You can only come to him if he allows it, and he only allows it if you're chosen. 
But what the word here means is draws. It doesn't mean dragged, but draws. Think of Paul the Apostle when he was Saul of Tarsus back there in the book of Acts. What did the Lord say to him on the road to Damascus? Saul, Saul, why kickest thou against the goads? The, The cattle prod, the Holy Spirit drawing him, convicting him. Why... Why are you resisting the Holy Spirit? And it's the same thing was true of us. At least for me, I didn't grow up in a a believing household. And when I got saved, all I could think of was all the people that shared the gospel with me. Oh, my goodness, if I could just go back and hug them as they planted those seeds. As the Holy Spirit was wooing me, drawing me, he draws us through his spirit. He brings us to himself like a life preserver. He just casts it out there. It's here. It's here. Come take it. Come take it. Come be free. No longer a slave to sin. Come free of your addiction, your doubt, your fear of damnation. Come. And he calls you. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him in and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 45, it is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. When it says here in verse 45, and they shall be taught of God, What it's insinuating there in the language is you will have conviction in your heart. That's that morning devotion you have when you read something and the Lord is telling you this is for you. And you're convicted. Who's teaching you that? It's when you read through those 15 verses and that one just jumps out of the page and it says this is for you. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that the word of God is alive, it's living, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cuts us asunder the bone to the marrow and the Bible says it reveals the thoughts and the intentions of the heart the word of God is alive just as Jesus is alive and the Lord teaches you personally through it he uses teachers he uses uh, men and women that he raises up to encourage you in the faith and discipleship and to worship together As iron sharpens iron, so does the countenance of a friend. But most importantly, he will teach you himself. He will come alongside as you grow in him. Nope, this teacher's off. I don't know what it is. I'm not very smart, but something's wrong with this teaching. And then you go and you look and you be a Berean. You check it out like, oh, look right here in the scriptures. Who taught you that? The Lord did. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Verse 46. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Who's from God? Jesus has come. He's descended. Most assuredly, verse 47, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate of the manna in in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, 
that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life, for the life of the world. Jesus is the bread of life. How many days can we go without food? Apparently for me, not very many. I'm about, about three to four hours. So then I get something called hangry, you know, first world problems. My mood is directly related to my calorie consumption. How sad is that? But you know something? The very same thing is true of my spiritual consumption. If you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time and been married, have you ever heard this? When was the last time you read your Bible? How's your devotions? I can tell you I haven't been praying. Shut up, I go back in the kitchen. You start arguing, you start bickering. You know, you know he or she is right. You're spiritually angry. You're starving. And we have this plethora because we have this first world problem here, just like our food, right? There's so many calories available to us everywhere you go. There are people starving to death in this planet. Not one, not two, thousands, hundreds of thousands. And I can have a day's worth of calories wrapped in a bag this big at the gas station for $2. I can, I can scramble in my change drawer in my truck go into the gas station and have a day's worth of calories. So many calories, we have to be taught what to eat and what not to eat. The same thing is true spiritually. We have every different version. We have a Bible in every room. We have five Christian radio stations to choose from. Doesn't include your podcast. Doesn't include your free website. Doesn't include the commentaries that are like in the $2 bin at the Goodwill doesn't include the DVDs, the movies, the everything. You have a plethora. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He's speaking of literal life itself. He is life. So when we neglect our walk with the Lord, when we neglect our spiritual consumption, we're neglecting life. For what? It's so sad, you know, when I think about um, when I was truck driving, one of my favorite things at like 4.30 in the morning on my way to get the truck ready was they had this pastry. It tastes like garbage, right? But it's chocolate and it's filled with custard and it's like this little cinnamon thing. And it's like a buck fifty, And I think it was 800 calories. I kid you not. I'd eat two of those things a week. What could I be eating that was better than that? Anything. An apple, an orange. I could have ate something nutritious. I could have ate something that was going to give me life, make me feel healthier, give me more energy. But it tasted not even that good. Why did I eat it? Habit. What can be better than more time with the Lord? What can be better than more time with Jesus? What could be better than more time with His Word, in prayer, in service? And we go to the world to the things that don't even taste good. They're just habits. 
and they're killing us spiritually. The focus here in this text is on Jesus. Only Jesus, nothing but Jesus. He is bread, he is life, he is the way, he is the truth, he is salvation. And what do you notice about this section? Everything comes from God, nothing comes from the receiver. Everything comes from God, nothing comes from the receiver. We simply receive the grace of God. He is the bread, not us. We are those that are hungry. He is the truth, not us. We are in the camp of liars. He is salvation. We are not. We are condemned without Him. He brings life. We simply exist. Everything good in us comes from above, the Bible says. The Jews, verse 52, Then the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now we criticize, we criticize them. We say, Oh man, if we were there, we would know the truth. We would know the difference. But here we are now quarreling amongst ourselves. Yeah, but this stuff can't really be true. Pastors are taught that only 3% of the people that hear a message are actually going to train or change. 3%. So you, the majority of you, statistically speaking, are going to agree with everything I say, but only 3% of you are actually going to make a change. That's kind of depressing, right? If you're results-oriented. What if you only got paid 3%, 3 cents out of every dollar this week? Would you keep working? I don't think so. But I don't serve you. I serve the Lord. I, preach his, I teach His message. I share for Him. I serve Him. I love Him. He's given Himself for me. And in doing so, I serve you. Because He... He, the Son of Man, came to serve, not to be served. Have you come here to serve yourself? Have you come here to grumble spiritually? To quarrel? Now, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? All they're focused on is themselves. What are they really saying? What do I get out of this? This doesn't sound like anything. This is crazy talk. I'm just going to stay in my consistent, same, traditional habits, and Jesus says a lot of convicting things about the Pharisees. These are supposed to be spiritual leaders. Jesus says they're blind leading the blind. Jesus says they're whitewashed tombs. They look great on the outside, and inside is dead men's bones. Jesus says they're a brood of vipers, poisonous asps, A-S-P-S, very venomous snake. I pray intensely that I am never one of those leaders. I can only do that by being authentic and being real and by being as close to the Word as I possibly can. And to tell you that there is no good thing in me. It only comes from Him, the Lord. And the more self-centered we are, the more we quarrel amongst ourselves, the more we doubt, the less effective we are 
And the more we fill our spiritual life with spiritual junk. Do you feel this evening filled with spiritual junk? I'm moving right now. I'm throwing out so much junk. House is cluttered with junk. Are you filling your temple, your life with spiritual junk? Get rid of it. Only Jesus matters. But this is the amazing thing. The amazing thing, like there's only one. Jesus is the amazing thing, but this is what he says here in verse 53. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Jesus, this does not sound like how you fill a temple. Jesus, this is exactly their worst fear, what you're telling them. But Jesus is not concerned with their feelings. He's concerned with the truth. He knows that this is the exact thing that they're complaining about. Hey, what is he saying? We're going to eat his body? Jesus says, yeah, you're going to eat my body and drink my blood or you're all going to die. It is shocking. It's in your face. It's 100% the truth. Sometimes we get convicted, right? Have you ever been to a Bible study where you have an artificial conviction? Artificial conviction is when you know that the pastor is leading you in a direction to talk about a certain topic. As opposed to organic conviction, which is you just kind of, you read the text and the Lord just points out certain things and you're instructed from the Lord, just like it says here, just like Jesus said, learn from God himself. I don't want anyone to feel like you're ever being artificially convicted. But I do pray that we understand that where the word of God is taught, we just uncage a lion. We're not here to make sure everybody feels great all the time, although the Word of God does that. We're not here to fill seats through entertainment. We're not here to... We're not playing a numbers game. Man, if I could only get 10% of the people to have a real true conviction, that's not why we're here. Jesus says, if you eat my blood, eat my bread, my body, you drink the cup, my blood, you shall have life. My sole job as a pastor is to feed the sheep, to pass out the bread, and the bread is Jesus. I am to give out Jesus all the time. Introduce people to him, encourage people to know him more, and to spend more time at his feet at all times. That is what a pastor does, and anything else is wrong. When Peter was being restored after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus asked Peter, he said, do you love me? Peter said, I like you. 
I mean, you know what I just did, right? That he didn't say that part. I'm, I'm ad-libbing. He said, he said, I care about you. I like you. And he asked him three times. And finally, Peter just broke down. I love you, Lord. And Jesus said what? What did he tell him to do? Feed my sheep. That's it. Feed them what? Jesus himself. To share Jesus himself. As we're going to finish here and we're going to reread verse 56 and continue. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. What if every time I ate that little cinnamon roll of death, instead of the calories, it said how many minutes come off my life? Or how much of my, let's say my full potential is like 100%. And, you know, you know that one day that everything's clicking and you're feeling great. And let's call that 100%. And let's say that each time I had one of those tasty little trifles, it showed you how much a percentage you lost. Oh, you're going to lose 5% of your, of your day, your countenance with this treat. Would you still eat it? Oh, you know, this... This treat that you're partaking of, it's going to take 15 minutes off your life. You know, a lot of people still smoke, and sometimes it's convicting. And, you know, this isn't an anti-tobacco, you know, that's between you and the Lord. But every time you smoke that cigarette, you know that it's bad for you, right? You know it is bad for you. You can all agree. But it's just a little thing. But let's say you took every single cigarette you smoked in the last 10 years and you put it into one giant cigarette. Are you going to puff on that thing? Nobody here is going to puff on that thing. What if you added up all the amount of money you spent on cigarettes and you said, you're going to spend three grand, you're going to stand in front of this thing, and you're going to smoke it for five hours. Would you do that to your body? Of course not. That's going to kill you. Oh, wait a minute. But we'll just break it up into little pieces and we'll just pass it around so you do it a little bit at a time. Spiritually, we are doing the same thing. The point is not on the tobacco. The point is spiritually we do the same thing. We know that the little things in our life are choking out the Word of God. Little bit by little bit. It's just 15 minutes. Just one episode. It's just one season on Netflix. It's just, you know, go, I'm skipping church one time. It's just, I'm going to step down from worship. Just for a break. Just a little break. A little, just a pastor going on sabbatical for 90 days. Just a break. And you add up all those little things. And you, and you put it all on one piece of paper. And you say, this is how much time you decided to stay away from Jesus. This is how much time you decided that the world was more important than the Lord. This is how much time 
This is what you did to your spiritual health right here on this sheet. And you ask yourself, why am I not experiencing the promises of God? Why am I still full of fear? Why am I still frustrated? Why am I still depressed? Why do I still have so much frustration and anger? Why do I not have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding? Why do I not have contentment? Why do I not have these things? All the promises of God are yes and amen. He says that I have those things and yet I don't have them. Who's wrong? It's us. Here's the beauty of it. Just as we were praying in the beginning of communion, right this second, you can lay all your burdens down. Right this second, wherever you're at, no matter how you live, no matter what you've done, no matter what sin you're struggling, right now, you can take that heavy burden, you can take that confusion, frustration, fear, doubt, anger, anguish, all that time of the world that soaked your brain, your mind, your heart, your body, and you can lay it at the foot of Jesus Christ. He has washed you white as snow, and you have 100% of His grace. You are 100% righteous, 100% perfect in his eyes, and he will wash you clean. And you can turn to Jesus, Pharisee, adulterous woman, regular person, 21st century, pastor, pew, sinner. He is wooing us to him. He is calling us to lay them down. He's telling us to change. He's telling us to be convicted. He won't make us. But he has provided himself as the sacrifice. He is the bread. He is life. And we all partake together. We all partook together of that grace. But that was just a token. You have everything. Every gift that he said that he was giving to you. You have them all by faith. By faith. By faith. Right now. By faith. Have faith in His power, His work, His body, not in your body, not in yourself. Lean on Him. Let's pray that the Lord continues to change us and convict us. Lord, the Bible says you chasten those that you love. I feel a little chastened tonight, Lord. I feel a little bit of your strong, loving hand. And it comforts me, Lord, to know that you are at work in us, that we're under construction, but that you are the builder. I believe, Lord, that that, this message tonight was for somebody here. I believe it's your spirit moving. I believe there was someone here that needed this topical message this night and that you're going to do a special work that they will remember for a lifetime. And I pray, Lord, that you keep that 100% private as you did with most of your miracles. That we would continue to simply teach the word and be convicted by you. I pray that you bless your people, your sheep. That we would be growing in you and loving you more and more every evening. In Jesus' name we pray.